0: On this Aviation Special, we sit down with Jennifer Davis about her new book, Well-Made Decisions, how you can make decisions well and encourage others. All that and more next on this Aviation Special. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This This is AV. This This. is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is an Aviation Special, one-on-one with Jennifer Davis. This is Albright with Aviation, with an Aviation Special talking with Jennifer Davis about her brand new book, Well-Made Decisions. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I, I want to say thank you, and, and thank you to a mutual friend of ours, uh, Erica, um, for connecting us. I have followed your career for a number of years. <laughs> um, you I, you obviously, you know, connected with uh, years ago when you were with Layard and Planar, you, though, had a very cool um, trajectory through the IT space, through the technology space, obviously the AV space. You're now with Learfield uh, IMG College, uh, and we'll talk about that towards the end. But one of the things that that you've done really well is, you know, organizational and and organizational growth and and building your teams. So today we're going to talk about your brand new book, again, we call it Well-Made Decisions, um, first and foremost, uh, I always try to ask authors this, what kind of drove you to this and what was the, the catalyst for sitting down and, and, and typing out 50,000 some odd words?
1: Well, I'd like to say that it was because I've, um, you know, had a, a, a lifelong passion in the subject. Um, the truth is that it was a bucket list item okay. combined with a pandemic. <laughs> so quarantine plus bucket list equaled me sitting down to write a book and it was interesting because I am a big fan of um, business leadership thought thought leadership books I read extensively and um, <laughs> I had and, and I've written a lot I've contributed to Forbes I write a lot on blogs and on LinkedIn and various forums for, for work and it's um, it was interesting one one day in, in this pandemic, I kind of squinted at this bookshelf of mine and realized that a lot of the the things that I've read, the things that I have had a natural curiosity about, and the things that I've done in my own career centered on making and implementing decisions well. And I felt like I saw clearly <laughs> that there was a, a bit of a gap. There is so much written, so much quality material on decision science Game theory and making good decisions, and there are there are books written about um, execution and implementing and process and Six Sigma and leadership. You know biographies that tell stories of how leaders implemented choices. I'm kind of combining those two together, and my provocative insight (laughs) in this early in this process was that decisions like invention are 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration and most of that kind of sweat-inducing work if you will happens after the decision is made not before and if you think back at maybe even on a personal level although my book focuses on de- decisions at a kind of corporate or organizational level so much um work effort, investment, communication, collaboration, data, analysis, monitoring, pivoting happens after the decision is made. And it's very important for us as leaders to kind of be empowered, maybe to move more quickly to decisions, knowing that so much of the work and the value and whether that decision is going to be, you know, in hindsight, seen as wise and thoughtful will be, because of what happened after, not because of what happened in a conference room when a decision was made.
0: Yeah, talk for a second about about that that process and and why you know the the decisions need to be made quickly, but also you know the the kind of the feedback from the results of those decisions needs to get at least initial feedback, right? Because then you you can you can adjust and and, and gauge whether or not that was at least the beginnings of the right decision.
1: Yeah absolutely and you need to know what you want to be about i mean you know this this starts with uh, you know a sense of um culture in the business it starts with the right talent density as reed hastings from netflix talks about it it starts with a sense of strategy and hopefully something that has been documented like a written down strategy of what where you're where you want to end up and what the vision is for the company but with those kind of starting places, then it's really important for leaders. And I talk about it in the book to break down decisions into smaller pieces, maybe experiments, pilots, ways that you can, um, make reversible decisions, perhaps with a smaller investment, a smaller risk profile so that you can learn because actually the, the ultimate, um, benefit of decisions is that you, open yourself up to new learning. If you decide to enter a new market, decide to invest in a new product, decide to work with a new client or customer, all those all those decisions that you might make, actually put you on a path to learning more, and hopefully starting, you know, the start of what might be a viable business in that new region, or a brand new product line that changes the trajectory of your company. So you want to get in that path of learning as quickly as as possible. And so In the book, I talk about a concept actually uh, that was really honed for me at my time at Amazon uh, called One-Way and Two-Way Door Decisions. And the idea there is that just like approaching a door, um, decisions either are easy to reverse. You can open the door, you can walk through. If you don't like the conditions, you don't like what you see, you can easily go back in. Or they're one-way door decisions not that they're completely irreversible although sometimes that's the case but you walk outside and the door locks behind you and in order to open it up takes a degree of effort so things like setting pricing in the market might be a one-way door decision you could change it but it might be painful deciding to sell your business is a one-way door decision you can't say sorry (laughs) i I want it back here's Um, your money back yeah exactly so so you can imagine that, you know, changing the color of a button on a website is is a two-way door decision. And if, but again, selling, divesting part of your business is a one-way door decision. Well, um, being very clear about the kind of decision that you're making um, can help you move more quickly to a point of, well, let's change the color of the button on the website and see if it leads to a better result. And if we don't like it, we can change it tomorrow. That helps free up decision teams and leaders to say, okay, that we probably don't have to put as much rigor into this decision because part of the decision will be the outcome of making a change and that'll inform it. And being very purposeful about the kind of decisions that people are making and and uh, the process for that, again, a lot of that learning will come only after the decision is made. You'd put something in the marketplace and the like, so how can you speed up that process? So anyway that's some of the concepts in the book are really about unpacking that and it's it's interesting it's a book on decision making but you know a a small portion of the book is actually on the process of arriving at a choice um that kind of kind of false finish line of like wow i'm glad we landed this plane and made a choice uh, but it's it's in recognition that that's a starting line of a whole other set of work streams and investment and teamwork that's required to not just make make the right decision, but as um, a mentor of mine, biology Krishnamurthy, who was the CEO of Planar for many years, used to say, "It's it's not just about making the right decision; it's about making that decision right." And I feel like there there's a lot of power in that.
0: Talk for a second. How how, how many of those those one way and, and, and two way door decisions revolve around the the investment and, and this is both you know financial investment as well as as you know re you know human resource investment time investment how many of those like like at what point is there a tipping point that says you know what if you're going to spend i don't know 10 percent of your revenue or 20 percent of your revenue or 20 percent of your budget it's a one-way door dude right it, it's that that that's going to be a, a whereas we, we you mentioned the color of the button that's going to take 10 minutes of, of, of a graphic designer's time. Okay. Knock yourself out. Is there, is there a tipping point there where where revenue or, or, or time investment is involved?
1: Yeah. Great, great question. I actually think there's several dimensions and, and these become very, um, very specialized choices for each business depending on what the business is going through their, uh, you know, adaptability for change, that kind of thing. But I, I would first start with the impact to the, to the customer. So, if changing the color of the button is going to, you know, <laughs> again, I can't imagine this is the case, but it's going to throw a customer off and they're, you know, going to have a bad customer experience, then you probably need to think about it. And that's where why pricing, um, go-to-market strategies, uh, product innovation are often one-way doors because they impact customer experience, and you just don't want to like give a product to a customer and then take it back. Um, or put something in the marketplace that is going to be a horrible customer experience. So some of those things, I would say, first and foremost, ask through the lens of, you know, obsessing about the customer. Um, And even if that customer is an internal customer, uh, whoever is kind of the downstream, you know, person that you're trying to serve, I think um, it is a very important place to start. And then you're right, the impact of the business um, how much risk does this actually create for the business? And every company's risk profile is gonna be a little different. Um, I know certainly coming out of the challenges of this year, people are maybe changing their risk profile a little bit. Maybe they've burned down their uh, buffer uh, savings or capital a little bit more than they, than they wanted. So again, th- that risk profile will be very much a, a judicious decision by leadership on how much risk that the business can can afford to take. To, to get the learning and and the the upside of, of that investment. Um, you know, there are other dimensions as well. Um, you know, leaders have to think about, and, and often <laughs> leaders um, can be paralyzed by the fact that le- decisions can make and break careers as much mm-hmm. as they can businesses. And so I think there's a risk profile for the business and there's a risk profile for the individual or the team. Um, and 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 what they want
0: to take on so, so let me ask you about that because i i have i'm i'm you and i are in similar positions in, in our in our full-time jobs i'm also cmo of, of, of Converse technologies integrator out of st louis and and i have i have i've learned at least about myself the older i get i'm not gonna say the riskier i get but the less adverse to risk i get because my my view of life in my view, and this is going to be way more philosophical than probably you and I have <laughs> ever intended on this conversation. having. Life is short, right? And and, and our careers are short in, in really yes, we spend 40 hours a week, 80 hours a week, depending on the week and depending on the company. But it, it when it all comes down, and, and we get buried in the ground, there are very few things that are going to be left from us, including our mistakes, right? So I, I, I don't know if, if you feel this or, or your, any of your, of your cohorts feel this, but the, I feel like the older I get, again, not the riskier I get, but the less adverse to risk I get. Is that is that resonate with you?
1: It does. And, and I think part of it is because you have had a lifetime of experience of testing your own ability to make decisions and your, you and your team's ability to implement them and so what you know because you've lived it you have lived experiences it's almost like you've touched the stove and burned burned your hand well now you know not to touch the stove that same kind of thing actually has applied in your life what you've realized is this decision that you you know hand you know were hand wringing about um actually turned out fine or you were able to pivot or come to find out it didn't end up being as big of a deal as you thought and so you, whether or not you've reflected on that, and it sounds like you have, which is wonderful. I, the learning comes through that reflection. It doesn't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, experience is not the teacher reflecting on the experience is the teacher. But, it, you know, as you reflect on that, you might realize, oh, like this thing that I thought had a 60% probability of of turning out actually turned out great. So maybe I'm not calibrated. Maybe, maybe I need to think about, uh, you know, maybe be, feeling a bit more empowered or moving quickly and and it could be as easy like there could be baby steps here it could be as easy as how what could we do today to give us more confidence in the big decision that we think might be on the horizon so what do we need to know today and how could we find that out and uh I'm a big fan of uh, Stephen He wrote uh, the four steps to the epiphany. And he's the, he's the guy who talks about, you'll never learn anything in the office. <laughs> you need to get out. And so, you know, it could be that there's this key customer insight that you need to give you confidence in that decision. You're not going to get any further on that sitting in the conference room, talking about it or sitting at your desk fretting about it. There's only one way to know you need to go out and, and, you know talk to your customer or do the market research or again whatever action um you know might be might be appropriate and so that's really i think you know what experience and our reflection on that experience teaches us is that um it's almost like gps you you are stopped at an intersection and your gps tells you to go left and you're like i hear some construction noises i'm gonna Mm -hmm. go right you made a choice and Maybe it's the right choice or the wrong choice, but either choice can lead you to a destination. And you know, you probably have gained more confidence in your ability to navigate after a decision to still get to your destination.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about Jennifer Davis. Uh, currently, she works for, uh, for uh, Learfield IMG College as their CMO, but also about her new book, uh, Well-Made Decision. I, I, I want to talk for a second, or I want you to talk for a second about kind of getting to this point with this book, because there's a lot in here that you correct me if I'm wrong, it it feels like you have gained knowledge and and experience from your several different um, work experiences. We mentioned the fact that you worked for Amazon Web Services, you worked for Honeywell, you know, you also worked in Intel, um, you know, Planar and Layard, talk for a second about the ability to kind of take from each of those incredibly successful companies right, and and their decision-making process and how you were able to kind of, you know, synthesize those into this book.
1: You know, we were talking about reflecting on experiences and this has been a really, um, I I think really powerful actually for me to take a pause. (laughs) Um, You know, you live your career and it's this close to your face every day. And so it's been really nice actually to go back and just, open a document and start writing about my experience you know, at a, as, as the 10th employee at a s- educational startup right out of college and what i observed the leaders doing to gain alignment and to in- increase decision-making velocity in the startup i could reflect on my time uh, at the early days of planar when we when we were an embedded component manufacturer um and we were an ingredient brand, and the decisions to get into desktop monitors, which was our very first branded product, and what that felt like, and what that looked like, and and reflecting back on what I learned from it, and have since applied, but might not have you know quite articulated why um, I felt that was important. And again, just going through the trajectory of my career and being able to reflect on what I've learned and who I've learned it from, um, honoring you know all of the mentors and colleagues and you know, friends that that have spoken into and invested in my career, and and again, you know, I feel like this book is an opportunity not only to reflect and get some of these ideas that I'm really passionate about out there, but it's an effort to give back. Um, you know, I have tried in my career to mentor and and coach and be available, uh, you know, to others to share what what insight I might be valuable. This is a way to kind of do that at scale, and so uh, again, it's been it's been a great. Um, opportunity to reflect and something that I've, I I want to be more purposeful about actually moving forward uh, I, I don't know if I'll write another book maybe um, but I definitely will will spend more time reflecting on my experience because I've I felt like I was able to actually wring some additional value out of those past experiences in this past year
0: I think that there's something to be said for those that will not only recognize that they are not, a self-made person, right? We all <laughs> have gotten experiences from others, and, and I am incredibly grateful, just like you are, of, of all the tremendous people who have poured into my life, both both directly, right? These are personal relationships, but also, you know, you mentioned a number of books. I've got, you know, mine as well. These are, you know, these are, are ways that that we can get spoken into from, from folks who have, have lived certain aspects, and, and, you know, that's why I still love to read, right? It's, it's why you have to make time for that, so... Um, I, I want to wrap this up here. And, and you were involved with with, with talking about the, the, the female experience inside tech. Um, and um, I, I mentioned uh, our, our common friend, Erica Carroll, who, who connected us. Uh, again, another wonderful woman that I've got a lot of respect for. We interviewed her for our international women's uh, coverage during the month of March. And that taught me a lot as as, as a person. And i and I'll, I said this a lot during the month of march i i'm i'm a straight white guy i know where i am right i I get that right and i know there are certain aspects and certain experiences that i will never experience most likely um but i will i will learn from them and i will learn vicariously through folks like you and folks like erica and 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 you know others talk for a second about kind of you know your involvement and and this is kind of a take on the mentor as well the mentorship as well right the importance of making sure that not only women's voices are heard, but also that as women in various technology industries and and technology companies, you're able to and available for those that are coming up behind you to help them, right, to mentor them, whether that's through decision making process or just simply, you know, how to navigate some of these waters.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, And I would say it's, it's very important for everybody to be in a position of ally and advocate, uh, no matter where, you know, kind of what, what your, uh, what your, uh, demographics are, you know, everybody should be in a position of creating opportunity. Um, and that's, that should be true across the board. And not only is it the right thing to do, um, for the individuals, it's really good business Mm -hmm. and, um, long-term, um, businesses and their customers will, will value, um, find value in that diversity. There's there's no doubt about it, there's tons of research on it. So it it again it it's a, it's a win-win uh to 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 focus in on here. The one thing I would say is that um you know mentoring is very, very important and I you know we've talked I've I've been the recipient of that and very thankful, but I've also been the recipient of something else that actually maybe even more important than mentoring. And that is sponsorship. Um, you know, it's been said it's not what you know, it's who, you know, and there's truth to that. Um, uh, David Arvin in his book, uh, writes, it's not who, you know, it's who knows you. Mm. And there's something powerful about people knowing you well enough to understand your superpowers, understand your body of work. And then, to be able to assume a different role, not just mentoring and speaking into your experience and coaching you behind the scenes, but actively sponsoring you and promoting you and advocating for you in rooms that you're not in. And so that's kind of the trajectory. I think what people can do is know your stuff. Uh, Jerry Perkel, the CEO of, of planer used to say that all the time to his team is like, I rely on you to know your stuff. Like if you're, you know, my head of marketing, you're, you know, you're my marketing subject matter expert. And I expect you to know that stuff, which is great. And that's the role that I've assumed and loved. But knowing your stuff is only part of it. Uh, you know, you need um, to know people um, who can advocate for you. I mean, you know, my relationships with the CEOs I've worked with have been great examples of that. But then there's this broader networks of people like Erica Carroll and others, uh, you know, who, who we can um, learn from. And, and be peer mentors. But then there's that sponsorship piece. And actually, Erica is a great example of this. Here we are, colleagues and friends, we helped found the um, uh, AVIXA, uh, Atlanta chapter of the Women of AVIXA uh, group. And I got to know her in that context. And she found out I was writing a book and actively has sponsored it, helped promote it uh, to her network and then called her friend, Tim, and said, you need to have Jennifer on, like, you know, and, and we, we've we known each other, known of each other, but again, she moved from mentoring, you should call Tim, to sponsoring, I will call Tim on your behalf. Yep. And and how powerful, like what a powerful example of what we're talking about. So I again, the challenge that I would have for anybody, um, who's in a leadership position or an influence of position of any type, whether you have the title or not, is look around your network for the people, see very clearly their superpowers, and then look for ways to actively advocate for them. You're in a meeting and, you, and somebody said, you know, it'd be great if the company took on this project and you think, I would suggest that we ask Tracy to do that because she has shown great skills in this. And again, it's that kind of sponsorship that really changes the trajectory of people's lives. And I think about my career in kind of two halves. There was the half where I was learning skills, I was getting my MBA, I was moving around to different companies, taking on different roles laterally to grow my skills like this. And I had a CEO who saw in me a lot of potential and he put me into my first P&L role. He put me into my first um, C-level role and what a difference that has made in my career, and it's put me on a different trajectory. Um, and again, you can be that for somebody um, with the next project that you have awareness of.
0: Well, and I wanna point something out here. You don't have to be a leader. You don't have to be a boss, quote, unquote. You don't have to have um, reports to do that, right? No. Um, that's yeah. the one thing I, yeah, that's also very important is, is some people get hung up on, well, I, 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 I'm not a boss. I'm not a leader. Well, yes, you are to somebody, right?
1: well and and here's the here's the here's the secret um leaders in your organization are looking for people who already demonstrate leadership yep. and so if you're the kind of person that actively advocates for others sees needs and connects the dots um brings forwards and forward initiatives you know driven by data and customer insight like you're you're leading from your you know part of the world no matter what your role is and again if you're in an organization that fosters talent it won't be long (laughs) before people realize like oh like she's she's underutilized or he's underutilized in this role and you know um you know there'll be other opportunities for others to sponsor you too so again it's a very reciprocal thing if you if you seek first to see how you can serve and advocate for others it it has a halo effect and so uh, again it's a win-win kind of situation
0: absolutely jennifer davis thank you so much jennifer davis the author of well-made decision how do people connect with you and how do they get the book
1: Awesome. Well, we are in a pre-sales phase right now through the the month of April, and the book will be officially published and in hand in August, which will be here before I know it. And um, so more information you can find about the book at WellMadeDecisions.com, which is kind of a blog I've stood up to to promote the, the book um, and some of the related activities. Um, I'm Launching a scholarship program, actually, um, as a way to uh, funnel some of the proceeds of the book. Uh, Again, in the spirit of giving back, I want to continue that theme. And uh, people can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm Jennifer B. Davis on LinkedIn. I'm Jennifer Davis on Twitter. And I have a personal blog um, at www.jenniferdavis.com.
0: Very good, Jennifer Davis. Thank you so much. For your time there. Uh, for us, for Aviation, go by our website, aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv, and find several interviews like this, including uh, our buddy, Andrew, Carol. You can check her out as well at aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv.